This is Further, a weekly show for the people of Harmony Bible Church where we seek to revisit and expand on Sunday sermons with the goal of growing deeper in biblical truth that transforms our lives. Welcome back to Further. I'm Brenton Grimm, and I have Matt Mitchell here with me today. How you doing, man? Good. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Good. I, I appreciate you coming in. We had Andrew Weiss in Burlington and Danville and Matt in uh, Fort Madison. So I really appreciate you guys uh, giving, the, giving the messages and putting your work into this. What what was uh, prep like on this, on Romans 4 for you? Yeah, uh, prep was really good this week. Uh, sometimes it's a grind and you're just tr- trust the Lord every week, but sometimes it's more joyful, I think, to dive into it, and it's almost more uh, devotional than than other times. But this this week was pretty uh, life-giving for me as I was kind of looking at what Paul was saying in the text and then going back into like Genesis chapter 15 and reading the account about Abraham, like what it said he believed, and it was counted as righteousness, like what was he believing, and looking at that, and then he references David in Psalm 32, and reading that psalm in its context, and uh, kind of meditating on those two passages and what was going on, taking me back into what, here's what I'm supposed to preach, is what here's what Paul's trying to get across, and that just made it more exciting, because it makes more sense when you realize what things are in their context, and like, wow, that's that's more powerful than I thought. Yeah, so, for yeah, for sure. Good. For sure, yeah, and just reading through the... Um, David there talking about blessing and how much discussion there is there. It, yeah, it's 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 a good uh, a good way of looking back at our lives and realizing what what Christ has done uh, as a blessing in our life. And Absolutely. So, uh, we'll be getting into that a little later, but right now um, I want to start by talking about faith. So this this passage talks specifically about faith quite a bit. Um, I want to see if if you can kind of just define that for me to start with. What does Paul mean by faith in this passage? Yeah, so um, faith is all over the Bible, and there's different ways we see it too. So uh, in our passage, actually the word it uses is belief. Um, And faith, belief, it just means trust, confidence, um, uh, to have a conviction, uh, to have assurance about something. So uh, faith, belief, it's the instrument in which we take hold of God and his promises. And um, just, we'll say saving faith, and it is saving faith, but it's not like we, we've worked up this, you know, this kind of belief in our heart about something, and that belief saves us. It's, no, our, what is our belief in? And our belief is in, always in an object, it's always in a thing, or, you know, in this case, it's the person of God yeah. and um, what he's accomplished. And what we're seeing in Romans is he has accomplished something amazing in Jesus and that he's put him forward in our place. And when we believe that and uh, we lay hold of that truth, we're right in God's eyes. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, and I I think that the word faith can kind of get, uh, I don't know, it, it can get thrown into a lot of different categories too. So we have... Uh, one objection to the Christian faith would be that we just have blind faith in something that we we can't necessarily prove, we can't see. Do you think that these are kind of different definitions here of faith, or how would you kind of sort this sort this out? 
Yeah, definitely. And there's like the pop culture, you know, blind faith or just, you know, you just got to believe it. And there's, but there's like no evidence. <laughs> it's like right. bl- blind faith is like walking into the dark and somebody just says it's going to be okay. And you literally have no idea, like if you're going to run into something, there's, there's no evidence to, to prove you're going to be all right. But, um, you know, I'm just thinking through the New Testament, it is obvious when you read through the New Testament that faith is something that's uh, you can't always see, but um, but the evidence is there. And so, um, you know, like Paul says in Second Corinthians 5, I think, we walk by faith and not by sight. And he's talking about uh, our relationship with the Lord and how when we depart from the body, we're going to be present with the Lord. And um, we make it our aim to please Christ. And like we have never seen him yet, we make it our aim to please him and... Um, so yes, yeah, so, but some of those evidences, it's like we've got God's word, um, we have the church, we have the Holy Spirit that confirms these things, and so uh, yeah, it, it's not blind at all. It, I'm I'm thinking of Peter in his in the first chapter of a uh, First Peter. He says, you know, you believe in the one that you you haven't seen, even though you haven't seen him, you know him and you love him, mm-hmm. and I just think that that's it's 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 a mystery, but it's what God does. It's, there's this. Uh, uh, evidence that we have that the Holy Spirit brings about that we really are following the Lord, and um, He confirms that through His Word, and He confirms that through uh, a lot of other things. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the way that Paul is using the Word in in this chapter, I think, is what you were talking about earlier. Of this is actually how we lay claim to the promise um, that our um, the object of our faith is Christ. Mm-hmm. Faith is just the the means by which we accept that promise. Yeah. And and especially viewing I think biblically that faith itself is a gift from God. Um yeah, so but but I think on the other side when we talk about Christians just have blind faith, I think first of all it's it's kind of silly to say it's not true. Right. Um but but also that's – I think it's just a confusion of categories in a lot of ways that we're not talking about whether – when we talk about faith we have in Christ, it's not whether we believe he exists or not. It's whether we believe in him. Yeah, exactly. Um, in, in his promises. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think yep. we, can, we can have knowledge but not have faith in something as well. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. It's good. Appreciate it. Um, so speaking of faith, um, what – what do we do with with James two? So, I probably should have pulled it up here, but James uh, essentially is going back and talking about Abraham, just like Paul is in Romans, and he uses uh, Genesis twenty two, the the story of um, uh, Abraham and Isaac, to talk about how Abraham wasn't only justified by his faith, he was justified by his works. Um, does he, it, 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 doesn't it seem like he kind of contradicts Paul here? Yeah, this is a great question, and I I will definitely say that I'm, I'm not an expert on showing how Paul and James are complimentary to each other, but uh, I will take hundreds a, of years of discussion over <laughs> that's this. That's right, that's right. Don't plan on fixing it today. And, uh, you know, I, I've always thought with these that uh, I remember as a newer believer, I remember reading through Romans and being like, "Yes, Amen." I like I'm I'm with Paul, and then I remember reading James and 
saying, yes, amen, I'm with James, and not even thinking that they were contradictory at all. And um, and I'm not saying that to as some sort of compliment to my early self. I'm actually saying that I think a lot of newer Christians that aren't looking for, you know, these inconsistencies in the Bible or alleged inconsistencies, they don't see it that way, and they actually see it at face value for what it is. And I think really what it, all it comes down to is that uh, our faith and our faith alone justifies. We cannot earn anything in God's eyes. We don't deserve anything that God can give us, but he freely gives it, and we accept those promises uh, in Jesus by faith. And then what James is get, trying to get across is if we have faith, there's not going to be this void where there's not going to, uh, you know, uh, and put it another way, there's going to be a changed life. There's going to be works consistent with the faith uh, that we have. And um, so, yeah, uh, faith is the root and uh, works in our life that Jesus is king now and we live for him. That's the fruit. Hmm. And I think that they do. They are totally complementary, and uh, they're not trying to cover the same material. Um, that yeah, absolutely. I think I think if we read James and look at the the context and and the question that he's asking and answering there, in verse fourteen he says, "What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him?" And so he's a, he's answering a very different question than what what Paul is answering. Right. Um, and the answer to that is no. And I think, I think just to frame this a little differently, it, it's kind of the difference. What James is saying is it's the difference between simply professing faith and actually possession, possessing faith, having, having a faith that has actually, uh, transformed our, our hearts mm-hmm. and, and then, the works come after that. But if the, if the works don't come after a profession of faith, anyone can profess faith. But if the works don't come after that, right. then, then it's not a, a true possession of faith that you have. Yeah. And, and, and what's so great about this, uh, the references used here, Paul in Romans 4 is talking about God's promise to Abraham when he's out in the field and says, look up at the stars, this is what your offspring are going to be, if you can even count all these stars and like, there's going to be this promise seed that comes to you, Abraham, and he believes. That's Genesis 15. And then James is referring to Genesis 22, where Abraham, by faith, is going to sacrifice his promised son, Isaac. Now he's got the promised son, but he's still believing God. And so it's like, no, like what can't, uh, linearly, what came before the other? Genesis 15 comes before Genesis 22. And that's just a good way, I think, to look at those is, hey, Abraham believes. And then he's showing that he believes, Genesis 22, but even at that point, it's still his faith. He's just believing God and what he's promised and that uh, God's going to come through on what, what what he's promised. Yeah. Yeah, I think just to kind of get practical, and maybe we've talked about it here on the show before, but I think I think what what James is, is actually fighting against is this kind of easy believism where we, we just um, can can give a mental assent can can say that we we believe in in Jesus but but our life never changes. Yeah. And I think there's biblically you you can't read read scripture uh, um seriously and think that that's even a category that you can be in where we yeah. we are saved by grace through faith and that's it. There there's so many places that that sanctification is absolutely necessary to come next. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. So, 
Yeah, just a little practical way of looking at that. Yeah, but, it's good. Um, yeah, the, I think just to, just to wrap that up, they are uh, talking about two completely different things there, but they would both agree with each other, I think. Yeah. Um, is there any difference in the way people were saved in the Old Testament versus after Christ? Yeah, another good question. And I just looking back at the, the passage I had the privilege of preaching this week, I think Paul settles that, and one of his main points of this is that the answer to that question is no, there are not two separate ways. Uh, God's people are saved in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, and, you know, uh, he says in Romans 4, you know, verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. And then verse 3, he says, for what does the Scripture say? Points him back to Scripture, and he quotes from Genesis 15, uh, in verse 6, and says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And what he's doing there, I, I believe, is he's pointing his Jewish brothers and, and sisters, these people who are Christians, that believe in Jesus, he's pointing them back to Abraham, saying, Abraham is right in God's eyes because he believed God's promise. Um, and ultimately, we <laughs> we see in the book of Hebrews that Abraham is actually waiting for Christ for the promises of God to be fulfilled in Christ, ultimately. And he didn't get to see that fulfilled in his lifetime. But, uh, yeah, so the book of Hebrews, uh, you know, Romans 4, I think, says it perfectly, but the book of Hebrews is all about uh, there is one Lord and there's one faith, and um, all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, they just were pointing towards the ultimate sacrifice, Christ, and he's the one that truly mattered and that everyone was anticipating. And... They were looking ahead to Christ, and now we look back to Christ as uh, as the one who's accomplished this work. Yeah. So, so I think one common kind of misconception um, when when we look at the whole of Scripture uh, from people is that um, God was different in the Old Testament than He was in the in the New Testament. Um, He's changed once, once he, once he, uh, Jesus was was incarnated, and so he was he was much more of a, a taskmaster before, and then and then he 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 stopped, and he is now a god of grace. And I think when mm-hmm. we when we see passages like this from Romans, where we we're, we're kind of given a different view into what those what those stories actually were, it was. Um, it was of grace that Abraham was saved. And so what, what would you say to someone that kind of has that objection? Yeah, I would just say, and that that's a really good question. And I think it, uh, I understand why people ask it at times. Um, I've asked that myself, but I think it's a, it's a surface question, but you know, things aren't supposed to stay on the surface. Mm. And uh, when I say that, I'm kind of using that as an analogy for, we need to go deeper into God's word and actually get into these passages from Genesis to Malachi and see that God is always uh, responding with steadfast love and mercy and grace towards his people. And he gives them a law. I think this is, this is big. This is something I learned in Bible school that really hit home for me because I didn't grow up thinking this. Um, even whether it was taught or it wasn't taught, I didn't grasp onto it, but I had a seminary professor that just pointed out, he said, the gospel is always first and then the law. And, you know, he was saying, God 
brings his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt with a strong and outstretched arm, you know, defeats their enemies, uh, delivers them. They didn't do anything to deserve that. And then he gives them the law, this way to be set apart and to live for him. And so I'm, I'm kind of answering this question in the sense that, um, you know, God's people in the Old Testament did not earn righteousness, did not earn God's merit and favor by doing these things in the law. Um, the law was given after they were saved, mm-hmm. you know, and it's the same way for a Christian. And Paul points that to the end of Romans 3, you know, he says, Jesus has come. <laughs> Nobody deserves this. We're all sinners. We're justified by grace through our faith in him. And then at the end, he finally says, you know, do we do we throw out the law? And he says, no, we uphold the law. And um, the best way to uphold the law is not by trying to do it on our own, but it's by believing in Jesus by faith, and then the Holy Spirit empowers us to live for Jesus. And so I think God's God's theme of that grace and that good news coming before the law and all that, that is so consistent throughout the whole Bible. And... Um, and then we see in, in Revelation, we see the God of justice, he's coming with a vengeance to anybody who's against him. They're not going to remain when God brings his, his kingdom in full and the new creation. And I'm glad he's that way because I don't want a world where there's a bunch of injustice continuing to just occur. And, um, and no one wants that. We, we want our Lord to be a God of justice. And yeah. praise the Lord that we're under the banner of, of Jesus and his blood. And that's not us anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 we were talking a little bit before we hit record on this about Hebrews 10, and I'll just read a little bit of it here, starting in verse 2. Otherwise, uh, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And... And what the writer of Hebrews here is talking about is he's comparing the Old Testament um, sacrificial system to Christ, to Christ's once for all atonement. And and so if we if we look at what Matt was saying earlier about the um, Abraham was saved before the law was given, and yeah, so right the 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 sin or the the law was never meant to be a, a way of of his people being saved he people were always saved under under his grace through yeah. through the promise of Christ yeah and i uh i can't remember if it's later on in romans or if it's in galatians i think it's in galatians where paul literally makes that same point mm-hmm. that the way before the law was even given through moses abraham is uh an example that he believed yeah and what God was doing. What yeah, he said. and I think going back to the question I asked earlier, if if God is the same from the Old Testament to the New Testament, I think I think that's where our minds go first. Is that God was He's gracious now, so He was gracious in the past. But but I think also it kind of gives us a different view of of who God is now if we look at the Old Testament, because there was a a, a lot of things that God did in the Old Testament that. Would it's hard for us to swallow today, sure, in a lot of ways, and sure. so I think there's there's an, a maybe a more of a gravity to situations when we when we read through the Old Testament and realize that the God of Nadab and Abihu are this, is still the God today. He hasn't yeah. he hasn't changed, right? And so there is um, there is seriousness in sin that that maybe we we don't see as much or as explicitly in in the New Testament. Right. Um but 
but that God hasn't changed. Yeah. So. Yeah, certainly. And yeah, I mean, I mean, they have, we're going to get there eventually, but it's a verse pretty familiar to everybody, but you know, like Romans 6, 23 for the wages of sin is death. And that's part of the verse, but that's a true part of the verse. And that's what all of us deserve apart from Christ. Our dues for sinning is uh, spiritual and physical separation from God for eternity. Yet that the second part of that verse is, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And um, so, yeah, there's uh, we have a God of justice, but mm. we also have a God of tremendous and amazing uh, uh, grace and mercy. And mm. he's shown us that not just in some abstract way, but in, in his son. Yeah, this discussion, these discussions we've had through Romans have have so often come back to the recognition that God is a just God, and and I think that that can be kind of hard to swallow at times that that God demands justice when it when it comes against us, but um, luckily or fortunately for us, he he sent Christ, and that was um, that was what we needed to to avoid that. Yeah, the justice we deserved. Yeah, Amen. And Paul basically is saying the, that exact thing in our and the passage we just got done hearing this week from Romans four. So, yeah, it's consistent. It's great. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit about um, as Paul brings up Psalm thirty two here. Um, he talks about uh, what it means to be blessed by God. Mm. What. What do you think David is trying to communicate here in Psalm 32? Yeah, this is this is so meaningful. Uh, verses 7 and 8 of chapter 4, he's quoting from Psalm 32, is the first couple verses there, David's psalm. And uh, blessed is uh, been hijacked by our culture, mm. you know. Uh, yeah. And I think people are really well-meaning, <laughs> but it's like, what in the world does that even mean? It mm-hmm. sounds like a Christian-y yeah. Be blessed today. thing to say. Yeah, and... Um, but... You know, as I as I looked at it, and um, I've got a there's a lot of different tools you can use out there, but sometimes I just get on the there's a website called Blue Letter Bible that just helps you in a really simple way. Anybody in our church could do this. It can help you look up words to and biblical Hebrew and Greek, and blessed just means joyful or happy uh, or fulfilled, and that helped me as I was preparing with this talk because I'm looking back on it. I'm like, okay, blessed. Uh, if that means happy, which a lot of times uh, certain Bible translations will translate things in the Psalms as like happy. Happy is another word that's and been hijacked. <laughs> happy is another word that's been hijacked. That's true. And uh, so, let, yeah, let's say joyful. And, yeah. you know, joyful are those, and it's like, well, what's what's next? Joyful are those who whose lawless deeds are forgiven, mm-hmm. okay? Whose sins are covered. Um, how joyful is the man or woman, that the person against whom the Lord will not count his sin or her sin. And um, this is just amazing because it's it's not how joyful are the ones who do everything right, how joyful are the ones who have the great church attendance and are doing everything their church has asked them to do, how joyful are the ones who don't yell at their kids, how joyful are the ones who, and this is implying, have turned to the Lord, have repented, and said, God, I need you, and he has offered that fresh forgiveness and that covering um, of all sin, all, all lawlessness and all sin. And not only that, it's not just a forgiveness and a uh, a covering, 
but it says, how joyful or blessed is the person who the Lord will not count their sin, which is like the opposite side of, count. you know, we're counted righteous, but we're also not counted with our sin, you know, and so it's, it's the, it's the double and uh, um, the, the double blessing. And, you know, we are counted righteous and we're not, our sins are not counted against us. And it's like, okay, David just gave us a really good definition of what it really means to be blessed, uh, what it really means to be joyful. And um, that's good news. I, I need that <laughs> every day of my life. I need that kind of news coming at me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I mean, as you're reading through that, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. That that can get really personal really quick because we we are the ones whose lawless deeds are forgiven. And so mm-hmm. I think um, just to you who's listening, think back to, to when you were saved. Think back to that experience. That's that's what David's talking about here. You on at that at that moment, your lawless deeds were forgiven and your sins were covered. And that I think when we when we think of blessing or as or as Matt put a joy like that, that is joy. That mm-hmm. is that is blessing through Christ. And so yeah, I it this this passage I think can just really take on a, a very personal uh, a personal experience in our in our lives. So it's good. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that discussion on um, you know faith and and what what he meant by blessing here. And so, um, yeah. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for your message. Yeah, I'm grateful to do it. It was a good time. All right. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.